This is Big Problems, an advice podcast. I'm David Chen. I'm Stephen Tobolowski. And joining us today, uh, we have a very special guest. One of the reasons that we wanted to do a weekly show like this is so we could be able to communicate with people on a more regular basis, but also to be able to get on guests, which just wasn't possible with some of our other podcast work. And so today we have a guest whose directorial debut is about to be released uh, on Video On Demand, and everyone will be able to watch it. Uh, Bradley King, welcome to Big Problems. How are you doing today, Bradley? Hello, I'm good. Thank you, David. Bradley, your film Time Lapse is going to come out uh, this Friday, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Limited theatrical and uh, VOD. What is Time Lapse about? It's a uh, movie about three roommates who discovered their old scientist neighbor dead, and his apartment is a machine that takes pictures of the future. Stephen, I think you had said, like, th- th- was there like a Twilight episode? I, Twilight I, I episode remember, a, yeah, not a Twilight episode, David. That's the <laughs> werewolves. Uh, Sorry. No, tw- there was an old show that it was actually a very good show. Uh, for you young whippersnappers, called The Twilight Zone. And I, I'm in my in the file cabinets of my mind, I'm, I'm seeing there was a show in which there was a camera that could take the picture of the future. I'm thinking this was before the age of Polaroids, in fact, which actually was a camera that took pictures of the just immediate past. But but they would take a picture of something and they would be able to see what someone's future was, I think. Is that the idea of this movie? It's a fantastic idea. Yes. In fact, in pre-production, uh, we were notified by someone who had seen this Twilight Zone episode <laughs> and we became terrified, uh, of course, because we thought we were so original. Uh, and so we went and watched it. And uh, it's great. You know, it's a good episode. Uh, but you're right. In that episode, the camera, I think, forecasts like 10 minutes ahead of time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right, whereas um, yours is like a day, I believe. Yeah, huge difference. Huge, huge difference. enormous <laughs> difference. Also, your camera is stationary. That's another, that's another big difference, right? True, yeah. Uh, right. Well, anyway, uh, you can check out Bradley King's Time Lapse available. Uh, it's going to be on iTunes, I assume, and Amazon? Yep, iTunes, Amazon, uh, I think you know all the major VOD. And then June 16th, I think, is uh, Blu-ray DVD. Cool. Well, uh, and also watch it in, in limited release. So, why do we have Brad? Why on earth do we have Bradley King on Big Problems podcast today? That's a question a lot of people are asking, including Bradley King right now. For sure. <laughs> um, the reason is because uh, Bradley has a lot to contribute uh, with regards to today's email. So, firstly, if you want to find more episodes of the podcast, go to bigproblemspodcast.com. You can. Email us and ask us your advice questions at mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. That's mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. A couple of guidelines. Just firstly, when you write in, be as specific as possible about your situation. And also, let us know if we can use your name or you know, feel free to use a pseudonym, you know, whatever you prefer. The only other request I have before we begin today is if you listen to this show and would like it to continue, please go to our iTunes page and leave us a review or leave us a rating. Uh, It would be a huge help to us, especially as we're just starting out with this podcast. So let's get to today's email. This comes in from Tim from Bakersfield, California. Dear Stephen and David, my problem is that I love movies. I love watching them, but more than that, I would love to create them. I'm currently struggling with the issue of this dream dying. I have made some short films and I'm pleased with the result, but I want to do more. I want to write and direct feature films, but alas, the reality of making a living gets in the way. My wife Katie and I both work full-time, and we live comfortably, but there is definitely no room to splurge on my film notions. I guess my question is, do I give up on my dream and make the rational decision of letting it be a small hobby, or do I go for the dream? If the answer is the former, don't be afraid to say so. I'm prepared for it. 
If the answer is the latter, then how would you suggest I go about achieving it? I would really appreciate any and all answers and suggestions. Thanks for your time and keep up the good work. Uh, so that's from Tim from Bakersfield, California, wanting to know uh, about his dream of filmmaking and how he should approach it. Should he let it be a dream and just uh, think about it when he's you know, working at his job? Or should he risk it all? And uh, and go into filmmaking full time, or or maybe something in between. So, Bradley, you have just directed your first film, mm-hmm. uh, and you're now filmmaking full time, right? Uh, I mean, I still technically have my day job, but yeah, I'm I'm segueing into filmmaking full time. Right. You're say. segueing to make filmmaking full time. So, what was it that caused you to pull the trigger on filmmaking? Like what? Like you were uh, working at a tech job before, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, whose origins we shall, re- you know, remain undisclosed, because uh, <laughs> right. it is incredibly. You've told me about it. It's incredibly shadowy. But it is. Uh, it so is. You, you you're working at a tech job that, like, probably many listeners to the show might be working. Uh, what was it that caused you to 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 take the plunge? I had been, I guess, for using the term dreaming. I had been dreaming of making feature films for a really long time. You know, I had tried the other arts in my youth, you know, I was into sculpture and graphic design and photography. And when I finally landed on filmmaking, I got really excited. And, and I, you know, I can't speak to anyone else's experience, but I just knew that I eventually wanted to make feature films, you know? Um, so by the time I did make one, you know, a lot of time had passed, uh, more time than I like to talk about, but I was, I was just really ready, you know, and I kind of hit that moment in life where I just knew I wasn't going to be happy unless I did, you know. A colleague of mine, Jeff Kanata, says that in life you should do anything else other than entertainment. And, <laughs> and, if, you, and if you figure out that you can't do anything else, then you should go into the entertainment industry. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like you reached that point personally. Like you, you tried a bunch of other things and you thought, I'm not going to be happy unless I'm making movies. Right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I've, I'm sure I'm quoting somebody but the pain of not making a movie was greater than the pain of starting to make the movie so <laughs> and we, we, well, we should also point out you had saved up a lot of money in order to be able to go into filmmaking correct yes yeah i i had saved my pennies for a good while yeah. right I, I guess that's one of the things i have the issues i have with tim's email is that like it, it kind of presents a false dichotomy in my opinion right that <laughs> You're, it's like you can go in and like pursue your dream or you can continue working your day job. And I feel like a lot of people these days, especially who get into indie films such as yourself, they work a day job and make films on the side. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's especially you know with how inexpensive really good equipment is getting now and I think the access to audiences now, you know, being able to actually reach people online and build an audience, you know, person by person. I, I, uh, it, it is a false dichotomy. I, I don't think – I don't think you need to look at it in black and white terms, but but I get the impetus to do so. You know? Right. He's he writes here. Uh, Make the rational decision of letting it be a small hobby, or do I go for the dream? Right. And like going for the dream can be taking a, a two week vacation off of your job, saving mm-hmm. up enough money to hire a small crew and some actors and shoot something. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's totally right, and I think that's you know. I think it's still good to make a bold decision because I, I get the the fear of staying in the safe, like, oh, it's a hobby thing and I slowly make something over the course of a year and show it to five people. Um, and that's, that is dangerous. You know, I think if, if you're really dreaming, that's dangerous to stay in that territory. But, well, but why yeah, is that dangerous? Well, I mean, 
you know, there's nothing, I don't have anything against it, but I think there's just a power in kind of making you know slightly bolder moves that are outside your comfort zone, right? You know, right. as an artist, that, that's um, fair enough. And, and like J.K. Rowling apparently wrote Harry Potter while she was working full time, still. Yeah. You know I mean? Yep. Yeah. So, so, you, you, but you, you obviously favor bold moves because you uh, made a feature film, right? <laughs> Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, again, you know, to me, it didn't seem that bold. It seemed like a necessity at the time. But right. uh, in hindsight, yeah, I mean, I, I took six months off work and I spent pretty much all the money I had in the bank. Uh, yeah. So, Stephen Tobolowsky, you made a consequential decision to get into the film industry uh, or to become an actor full time. You know, what was it? Did you have a similar thought process to Bradley where you couldn't be happy doing anything else? Right. I, I think. The discussion you guys are having, I think, is so right on because it's it's not an issue of the dream. It's an issue of the pain. Mm-hmm. You are motivated so much by the pain. And and what we were talking about before we went on the air, uh, I think you're talking about what you were doing next week. George Miller, uh, Mad Max, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. We're, we're, George we're Miller, Mad, Mad Max next week. Yeah, it was a doctor. You know, and he when he was making his early he films, he, he he a physician, you know, an MD, and when he was making his first films, which he was compelled to make because the pain was so great, he was editing those films in his kitchen with a moviola. <laughs> and and wow. I do agree with you, David, that it's a false dichotomy that the dream continues while you try to support your dream. And it doesn't just stop there. Take, take a look at the illusion of someone like me who is a, an actor and is a professional actor. But sometimes you have to take jobs as a professional actor that are more of the job side of it and not the dream side of Hold it. Hold on, Stephen. Are you right. telling me that you have taken a role for money only? <laughs> <laughs> is that, and not much money either. Is that <laughs> what is going on? This, you just blew my mind, Stephen. Yeah, no, it happens sometimes <laughs> that, that you, that, uh, you know, it, it happens on a, oh, you know, I have another director also, Paul Verhoeven, correct? Mm. Now, he wasn't a doctor. He was a mathematician, a physicist. Who felt compelled to make films. So definitely, I, I think it, the motivation is the pain. You do what you have to do because it is so difficult making movies. It is so difficult being an actor. The only reason you do it is because you are compelled to do it because the pain of not doing it is so much greater. Shavuos is upon us. It's coming upon us. And that's when we study the Torah. We, we study – and here's my little bit of Torah for today is one of the big lessons of the book of Exodus we can look at. And it's true with filmmaking and it's true with acting. Everything is a prison and everything is a doorway. And you look at any object in your life, don't assume everything is just an open doorway or a prison. It's both at the same time. You can make your career and acting a prison, or it could be your dream come true, and the same with making films. Uh, that's my perspective. So I look back at the humiliating things I've done in my life to, to maintain my career as an actor <laughs> – and each one of those things I have gotten something wonderful out of. And I've looked at great moments in my life and my career, and I realize, 
like take, for example, the obvious one, Groundhog Day, right? Terrific film, great role. Everybody loves Groundhog Day. Yet after Groundhog Day, it was very difficult to get any kind of a part that was different than a Ned Ryerson part. So it became uh, the prison. Just look at every decision you make as the open door of the prison. It's, it's both the same. Bradley, what was your biggest challenge uh, becoming a filmmaker for the first time on time lapse? Um, uh, before I address that, I want to say I have a, a very time or a, uh, a good Paul Verhoeven story about my pain getting into filmmaking the first time back in film school, which I, I've never shared with anyone and it's really <laughs> humiliating and terrifying. And I, I definitely want to share. Stephen mentioned Paul Verhoeven. I immediately thought about Starship Troopers and I don't tell this story because I, I have self-conscious about it, but, um, I was in before I got into filmmaking, I was in graphic or I was in animation school. And at this point I had tried sculpture and I had tried graphic design and I had even gotten into music a little bit. And I had dropped out of like four colleges in a row, you know, and my parents were, I think at their wits end. Um, and I was in animation school and I was really trying to make a go of it, but I was secretly pretty miserable and Starship Troopers came out and I went and saw it and I came out of the movie theater and I went home and I started crying and I was baffled because, you know, I love that movie. Because uh, Casper Van Dien's performance <laughs> was just so moving. I, I'm just, I love that movie not, as well. It's I not te- high art. I tease because I love, I, that, that movie was formative for me as well. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, still though, I, I was aware that it's not high art. You know, I, I hadn't watched, just watched Schindler's List. I, I was, I was crying over, you know, a, 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 a you know, Starship Troopers. And so I was <laughs> yes. baffled. I was baffled. And so I went, um, I went and saw it again in the theater, uh, came home and, and started crying on the way home. And I was really, rarely in my life have I cried without understanding why. Um, and, uh, and so I got kind of obsessed. I started buying books on the movie and I was like, you know, learning about, you know, oh, Phil Tippett, you know, who'd worked on Star Wars, worked on the effects and, Da, 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 da. And uh, I think I saw it in the theater nine times. Um, and after the ninth time, I came home and I was crying. And I suddenly realized I was crying not because the movie was so good and it moved me, but because I wanted to make movies. And it had never dawned on me up till then that making movies was even a thing. That that was somebody, you know, that something someone did. I mean, of course, I knew about, you know, George Lucas and Spielberg growing up, but somehow that was all removed from the realm of possibility of my own life. And uh, and it took watching Starship Troopers nine times to 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 have that you know that light bulb go <laughs> off basically. Wow, that, that is an interesting movie to have that revelation. <laughs> I yeah, know. you're you're just... either going to become a director or uh, you know work for Orkin. I mean, one one of the two. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, was... that, that's one of the two reactions you could have uh, to that movie. I know. Yeah, I, I thought that may be the first time I told that story. Uh, you know, to anyone that mattered, I guess. But uh, but it was good because I I, I went to animation school the very next day. I I walked out of class. I went and got a, a refund for the registrar, and I signed up for community college film school. Wow, that was best best thing I ever did. Crazy, crazy. Well, my, my question was, you know, you, you've been a first time, you, this is your first film coming out, Time Lapse, and uh, it'll be out on Video On Demand this weekend. What uh, challenges did you encounter as a first time filmmaker that Tim from Bakersfield, California uh, would be interested in hearing? I, I, I mean, I think the biggest one is like financing, right? For, sure. for someone who wants to make a film, financing is, is a huge challenge. You were able to secure funds, uh, so like that's you know, the biggest hurdle right there. But from a craft perspective, 
you know, what did you find the most difficult? Right. Well, a quick note on financing. I think I was scared to, you know, have to go around hat in hand trying to get financing. So I think I purposefully took that out of the equation by saving up my own money. Um, just so okay. that I, I, I didn't know we that. were disclosing that you had self-financed the film. I was just, yeah, at this point, <laughs> I, I consulted Cooper. I think the cat's out of the bag. You know, I, Initially, I, I, you don't want to talk about it because whatever, but yeah. I see. Okay, in that case, we can just say that uh, Bradley saved up all his own money and financed his own movie, So, right. which is crazy, by the way. Uh, that's just <laughs> insane. To, it's like you bet like your entire life savings on this movie, right? Well, again, to what Steven said, though, it's not insane. You know, in, in that moment, it was it was getting out of prison. You know, it was it was the it was the only move. So. I think I think the one of the most inspiring things you've ever told me mm-hmm. is uh, when I asked you about like the the money that you used to finance the movie, and I said, well, couldn't you have spent that money on like other things? Like, did, did, didn't it occur to you to spend that money on other things? Like, you could buy a house for yourself with that money. And, yes, you, and you said like you were actually looking at a house, right? I was looking at a house and I was seriously contemplating, you know, using the money as a down payment because uh, I've never owned a home and it was a beautiful home and I was excited. But I realized that if I bought the house, I would just sit around in the house daydreaming about making movies. Right. And uh, yeah, I thought that was that was very powerful. Like if if nothing else will satisfy you or make you happy, uh, then movie making is probably the way to go but anyway we, we keep dancing around the question so like your your biggest uh, challenge making your first movie right uh i'm just trying to get into his my, tim's mindset and uh I, I guess the first thing i would say to that is that you know if you if you have good material if the script is good and you know i go, good is relative but if you've really worked on the script and you know you feel passionate about it chances are other people will too and i think good material mitigates a lot of the problems or terrors of indie filmmaking because a good script will will open doors that were not there before um and so i would say you know if he's if he's contemplating the the host of problems in front of him the first one would be just to make sure that, that script is just as good as he can possibly get it right so either write a really incredible script yourself or find someone who has one who's willing to work with you right yes there's a good yeah that's a good other option right exactly yeah so for you, it was like refining that script to be as good as possible and making sure that uh, what would be on screen would like be like your best work because it, you know it might be your only shot, right? It might be your only work. W- was that was that on your mind that like this might be the only movie you ever make? Oh, absolutely. Every day, you know, I I um yeah, I thought this you know this could be it. Again, I, I'm I'm no spring chicken. You know, I, I made my first movie uh, kind of late, I think, in the spectrum of some filmmakers, and and I was very aware that. Uh, I did not have a life savings to spend again after this one. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why they call it life savings. It's because right. it's everything you've saved until that point in your life. Yes. yes. So, well, Stephen, you and I made a movie this year as well, right? Uh, we did. It's called The Primary Instinct. It will be world premiering at the Seattle International Film Festival this year. You can buy tickets at SIF.net. We hope you guys will join us for that screening. One of the things that uh, I did was make the movie in my spare time. And it was quite a challenge to make this movie like without quitting my job. But uh, but we did it. So I think again, going back to this false dichotomy thing, like you you don't have to give up your job to to make a movie. My encouragement to Tim would be like make more things. Like he showed us a short film in in his email, and it's pretty cool. But you you can make more things like that. Make short films. Get the word out there. Make something so great that it can't be ignored. Mm. Uh, and then good things tend to start happening after that. 
Bradley, your movie has been seen at dozens of film festivals. Yeah, 76. Yes, lots of 76 now. film festivals, and now it's going to be available for tens of thousands. It's one of the most torrented movies on the internet. No, <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, it's going to be, it's going to be David, out David. there in the world, uh, and tens of thousands of people will see it. And uh, so because you've made something that like, a lot of people appreciate, you are getting the opportunity to do more things now, right? Yes, yeah, opportunities are coming down the pipe. Um, we've been sort of punting some of the decisions on what the next opportunity we're going to take is uh, until the movie's out, obviously. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it has done what I think I needed it to do, which right. is to help me get my next thing. Get your next thing. Stephen, when was the first time you realized that like, I've made something that is of value enough that I can make my next thing? I think it, it goes back to theater, David. I did a performance of Glass Menagerie when I was in Summerstock. I was playing Tom in the Glass Menagerie, and a woman came up and talked to me at intermission. Uh, she, there was something wrong, <laughs> definitely wrong with her. She, th- she thought that it was not a play, that actually we were some real people that were just <laughs> talking in the lobby. <laughs> and she came up to me and said, she said, Tom, you're, you're hurting your mother. You're hurting me. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? You have to straighten up, please. And I, I said, well, I, I totally agree with you, ma'am, but I promise you're not going to like Act 2. Just, just, <laughs> it ain't going to work out in the next hour. Um, but I recognize the power of telling stories, whether as an actor, as a director, as a writer, that power has on other people because other people tend to see their lives in your story. It made me feel that the trail I was on was important. Right. And that, that wow. That, so that's, I don't think I've heard that story before. Uh, maybe, maybe so not. That's kind of a moment that solidified for you that like, uh, this is, this is the right path that you're on, right? Yeah. It yeah. matters what, you, what, what people want. And, and I hear it in your question, Tim, and, and in our discussion today, the thing that people hunger for is not art, but to feel that what they've done matters. Uh, we're, we're surrounded every day by feeling that what we do doesn't matter, but it matters. And when you get that feeling, that's the hunger we have, whether it be for art or to be a doctor or to be a physicist or whatever, to be a writer. Once you realize that what you're doing has an impression and there's a bounce back from the world at large and the world is a little bit better for you having been there, then you continue. So true. That rang so true for me because when when we had finished Time Lapse and it was all done and edited and everything, my batteries were so low. I was <laughs> I was so, you know, I had no money. In fact, I was yeah. in debt actually because we had gone over budget and um, and I just, you know, I was just, I, I just had nothing in me and I actually you know, I wasn't really considering giving up, but I was like, wow, I, I don't feel like I thought I was going to feel, you know, at the end of this process. Um, you know, do I want to do this again? That was really hard, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched it with my first non, you know, test audience at a, the first film festival in London. Um, and I was terrified. I wasn't even going to stay in the room. I just didn't, I was so scared. I didn't want to be there, you know, to find out whether they were going to like it or not. But we, there was no seats. And so we ended up having to sit down on the stairs in the front row um, and Cooper cajoled me into staying for a few minutes. Cooper's and, your producer of the film. Uh, co-writer, producer, yeah. And I saw the first 
joke land, and there's not really great jokes in the movie, but but the first one landed, and the people in the front row laughed. Um, and then and then the first sort of suspenseful thing happened, and I saw a woman kind of like cringe behind her coat, and seeing an audience actually react to the material, it, it was my my battery started charging like right then, you know, <laughs> and um and it was so validating, and I suddenly was like, you know, it suddenly dawned on me, oh my god, like I've made a connection. This is affecting people, and of course, you know, afterwards having to come up and talk to me about it helped too. But it was that moment of witnessing the audience reaction and realizing that it wasn't—I wasn't living in a bubble anymore. That the material was actually alive, and that it was connecting with people and affecting them. Um, that you know, I think I walked out of that screening pretty much ready to to do it again. You know, to try to make another movie. Um, right. So I think one moral, quote unquote, of what you just said is like if you can get your stuff seen by people and, and see people's reaction to it. Yes, uh, that's that thank you for completing my, no, no my thought there. That, uh, but that that was that was where I was going with that was, you know, if he you know, I don't know where Tim is at in terms of, you know, who he's sharing his projects with and things right. like that. But I certainly in my twenties made a lot of short films that I didn't show anybody and I wrote a lot of feature screenplays that I never showed anybody. And if I could go back and change one thing that I did in my twenties, it would be just to share more of that material. You know, it, it may not be perfect but you need to put it into a valid marketplace. Uh, maybe right. you're not selling it, but but get it beyond your your circle of family and friends to find out how it's connecting with you know strangers. Right, and when you see people's reaction, uh, it can be all the motivation you need to keep going. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts, Tobo? Are we good? I th- I think we're good. I I think you said it, and and just my my not even two cents, but one cent is. Not only putting things out there, but tell the stories you know. Mm. That's that always helps because when it's personal, it's more likely that people will feel their stories in your story. Tim from Bakersfield, California, we wish you the best of luck. Let us know what you come up with. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to write into this podcast, you can write in at mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. That's mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. Bradley, where can people find your film this week? Uh, well, the easiest way to find it would be to go to timelapse-themovie.com, uh, and they can, you know, find all the various outlets it's going to be showing up at, uh, but, uh, iTunes and Amazon are the easy ones, of course, if they just, uh, search it in there. All right, cool. And that'll be out, uh, this Friday, May, uh, 6th, or, I'm sorry, 16th? Uh, 15th, 15th. I believe. There you yes, go. 15th. May 15th. Well, Bradley, thanks so much for joining us today and on such short notice and really appreciate you sharing your insights on Big Problems Podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. You can find every episode of this show at bigproblemspodcast.com. Stephen, I think uh, where you can find us is at the Seattle International Film Festival, world premiering our film on May 29th. Uh, We hope you'll join us there and you can buy tickets at sif.net. I was going to say everyone should go see The Primary Instinct if they can. It's very moving and funny, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Cool. Well, we hope to see you guys there. And Stephen, you'll be up here uh, in Seattle, right? You're going to come to the Q&A. I am coming to the film. I can't wait, and I will be there for the Q&A. David can't keep me away. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Adios. Adios.